Hey, if you have your Bible today, or if you have the app on your phone, I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to start a brand new sermon series today that I've entitled The Road to Easter. We're taking a look at uh, different instances where Jesus is on his way to the cross, and even on Easter we're going to take a look at where he is on a road. He's traveling after he is resurrected. Uh, we just got done, by the way, with a sermon series that entitled uh, Be the Church, and we're to, uh, to be the church that God created us to be, and so we took a look at different passages of Scripture uh, that uh, took a look at the church and how we are to act. If you missed that, I, I really encourage you to go back on our website and look at those. Uh, that was probably one of my favorite sermon series I've ever done, and uh, I just think that that was, uh, that was really good. So go back and look at that. Uh, Luke chapter 19, if you are following along in the app, just as a quick reminder, you can always find all the stuff that you normally find in your bulletin right there in the app. Okay, Luke chapter 19. Let's dive right in here. Luke chapter 19. It says this. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the uh, mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told him, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to, to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. We're going to take a look at this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, would you just go before God with me and ask for his help with that? Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you so much for your word that it, we can rely on it, that it is good, it is perfect, that you haven't set us here without a guide. God, you've given that. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. Help us to apply this to our lives the best way that we possibly can. God, if you're calling us to do something, help us to be faithful with it. If you're calling us to stop something, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to know how to stop that in our lives. Father, we want to be the people that are drawing near to you every moment of our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to be faithful to what you want us to do. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Help us to live our lives in a way that would honor that, that would glorify that, not in a way that we forget that or in a way that we just turn into just kind of doing the same old religious thing over and over and over again. 
But Father, in a way, God, where we would keep that in the forefront of our minds, your sacrifice on the cross. Help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I've got a question for you. What is a peaceful day in your book look like? Uh, Maybe for you, it's waking up on a Saturday morning early before anybody else is awake in the house, grabbing your coffee, uh, sitting down on your favorite chair, and just relaxing a little bit and kind of kicking back. Maybe for you, you're more of a person that, man, you like to sleep in. You like your sleep, and you like to stay up late. You like to sleep in. Maybe for you, that's very relaxing for you. Uh, Maybe for you, it's going to the gym and working out. Maybe for you, uh, it's going uh, to the recliner and watching Netflix. Uh, Maybe you're saying, nope, uh, none of that. I got to get out of here. I got to, if I want a really relaxing day, you know what? I got to go to the golf course, or I got to go to a spa and get pampered all day. I got to get my nails done. What does it look like for you to have a super peaceful time? Maybe for you, you're saying, no, 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 I got to actually, I got to, I got to go to a beach. I got to go on vacation. Uh, I got to get out of here. What does that look like for you to have a very peaceful day? You know, for me, I love going to the beach. Uh, I like sitting on the beach. Uh, I like putting my, my fingers and my toes in the sand. I like how that feels. I like going swimming. It's just fun. Lake Michigan is great, but it doesn't touch the ocean, right? I guess technically it does t- if you know geography. Anyway, so the ocean, what I'm saying, is way better, right? You're sitting on the, on the ocean, and it's just good, and it's fun. It's nice to relax. But here's what I've noticed about that. You get back to Indiana, and life is just kind of the same, right? In fact, maybe you get back from vacation and uh, it seems like the laundry is piled up to the ceiling on the bed, right? I mean, it's just uh, laundry is out of control. Life gets back to normal and suddenly that peace is gone. You can have the most peaceful, relaxing day in the universe, right? In your book, you're saying, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. This is amazing. And then the next day, you've got to go back to work, and things are kind of same old, same old. And maybe I was peaceful in the moment, and maybe even feel a little bit more relaxed coming back. But, man, life just kind of seems to get back to normal. Now, we know as Christians, the only way to have true peace is through Jesus Christ, right? We get that. That's the only way to have true peace in life. That the only way we can have peace is to give our lives to Jesus, to make Him our personal Lord and Savior. But what does that really look like? Because for these people in this passage here in Luke chapter 19, these people were praising Jesus. This is a passage where we would typically read on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, right? Uh, Typically we have the kids in and they wave the palm branches and it's like the people here in this passage as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they're waving the palm branches. By the way, this passage of scripture is kind of a new start in the gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus starts his ministry and then about half Halfway through in Luke chapter 11, he says to his disciples, from here on out, we're going to Jerusalem. And he spends a while on the journey back to Jerusalem, and then he's finally here. And then it's kind of this climactic scene that we see here. People are praising him as he's coming into Jerusalem. The Pharisees have it out for Jesus. And so for Jesus to come in in public here and to be seen by these Pharisees and for everybody to be praising him with palm branches and throwing their coats on the, on the ground and for Jesus to come over it, this is a big, big deal. And as the reader, we start reading this passage and we, we're like, yeah, this is, this is great. This is exactly what you would think would be uh, going on as you read the Gospel of Luke here. Until, until you come 
to verse 41 in chapter 19. And it says this. It says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now that's really interesting to me because if I didn't know the end of this story, if I, if I were just reading this for the first time, I would think that you would be reading this and Jesus would be excited. Jesus would be like, yes, this is what I've been trying to do. I have try, been trying to get people to praise me, to worship me. This is a good thing. People are ra- waving palm branches around. This is, this is a good thing that's a sign of peace, right? And you would almost think that Jesus would be excited that this is happening. And yet, after it happens, we see that Jesus is actually crying, and he says this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is fascinating to me. The people thought that Jesus coming in was going to be this peaceful time. You see, they had a totally wrong mentality of what Jesus was going to do. They thought that Jesus was going to come in and set them free from the Roman oppression that was happening to Israel. You see, Israel, it's its own uh, country, but it is ruled over by Roman authorities. Uh, Rome has the entire known land at this point, and so they're ruling over Israel, and so a lot of Israel's freedoms are gone because of that. And so what the Israelite people, these Jewish people, they're, they're crying out and they're saying, yes, Jesus, come in, because we think that you'll set us free from Roman oppression. And Jesus comes in and he goes, you just don't get it. I'm not coming to set you free from Roman oppression. I'm coming to set you free from something so much bigger, so much larger than just the Roman government here. I'm coming to set you free from your sin. I'm coming to give you true freedom. But the people don't get this. And this is why Jesus is crying. He's also crying because he realizes their mentality is really, really poor about Jesus. He realizes that in just five short days, he's going to get to chapter 23 here that Luke records. He's going to get to this point where he's before Pilate. He's been arrested. Pilate is trying Jesus, and the people cry out. It says this that in chapter 23. It says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, Pilate says to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt-deserving death. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And we get... One of the saddest sentences in all of Scripture, in my opinion, it says, and their voices prevailed. The people's voices prevailed. On a Sunday, they're praising Jesus. They're saying, yes, Hosanna, come save us, Jesus. If you didn't know, that's what that word means. They're saying literally, praise God and save us. And yet, five short days later, they're saying, "Uh, no, Jesus, that guy? No, kill him. Give him the death penalty. Get him out of here. He is not giving us what we thought we wanted. These people thought they had peace with God. They thought that they, man, they were good with God. They had a good relationship with him. But the problem is, they didn't. So the question then remains for us today, for those of us who think that we have a relationship with God, how do we experience true peace with God, without making these same mistakes that these people made in this passage here, how do we experience true peace with God? Four things I want to point out to you today as we look in Luke chapter 19 about good things that people do and mistakes that people make 
in regards to interacting with Jesus. I want to start right at the beginning. It says as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem, he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, in this village in front of you, uh, you're going to find this colt tied up. Now, in other passages of Scripture and other gospel accounts, we find that this is not just a colt of a, a horse. This is actually a colt of a donkey. He's saying, hey, uh, listen, no one's ever ridden this yet. Untie it and then bring it here. And uh, if anyone asks you what you're, what you're doing, just say that I need it, the Lord needs it. And uh, so they go and they do this. And what happens? These people uh, go and do it. These two disciples, they go, they find this colt. And then the owner says, hey, what are you doing? The Lord, and they say, the Lord has need of it. Now, most of the time when we read this, we, we just go, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool, I suppose. Okay, uh, chapter 20, let's keep moving on. But this is crazy to me. Okay, now think about this. This would be uh, the same as if I told you, uh, um, let's all walk to the south side of South Bend. On the way, I want you to go ahead. Uh, there's going to be a red convertible in someone's driveway. The keys are in the cup holder. I want you to get in the car, grab the keys, turn it on. Somebody's going to yell from the garage, hey, what are you doing? That's my car. Just say, God needs it. See you later. And just drive off away, put it in drive, and, and, and bring it back here. This is crazy, right? Like this, you would, You'd be like, um, pastor, uh, do you want me to get arrested, right? Like, this is, this is crazy. And if I think I were one of the disciples and Jesus was telling me to go and steal a donkey, I'd be like, hey, uh, um, I, listen, I don't want to get arrested. What, this, is, this is crazy. Here's what's even crazier to me. If you had someone, you're saying, let's say you're in your garage. You're the owner of the red convertible with the top down and the doors unlocked and the keys in the cup holder. And somebody gets in your car and they say, don't worry, God needs it. And they start to pull out of your driveway. What's your reaction? My reaction is probably like, um, I think I need to call 911. Someone's stealing my car, right? This is, this is crazy. And yet we get no reaction from that. Nothing is recorded about the owner of the cult here. Now, in both of these circumstances, both in the disciples' circumstance and the owner of the cult circumstance, I think what we see is an extreme amount of faith happening here. Because neither one of these people have this like crazy reaction, right? The disciples don't go to Jesus and go, that's crazy! What are you? I'm either going to get beat up or arrested, but there's no way I'm walking around with a free donkey, right? And from the owner of the donkey, I mean, come on, think about it. Someone just says God needs this, and he says, okay, that's great. Think about the attitude that it would take when someone says, hey, um, I need something that you have, a skill, a resource, finances, whatever it might be. Someone just says, hey, uh, I, I, God needs this. We're, this is what we feel like uh, to be faithful with what God wants us to do. We need this. Can we have it? Think about the amount of faith that it would take from this donkey owner. So how do we experience true peace with God? Well, number one, devote yourself to faithfulness. Devote yourself completely to faithfulness here. Again, both the disciple and the donkey owner, they're all in. They're saying, hey, you know what? Whatever you call us to do, even if it sounds crazy, even if it sounds like this is going to get me arrested or beat up or whatever, I am going to devote myself to faithfulness. Hebrews 10.23 puts it like this. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit recorded in Galatians chapter 5. Did you know one of the fruit of the Spirit's, or the Spirit is faithfulness? It's faithfulness here. 
We have to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Otherwise, we're not going to experience peace with Him because He wants us to do something and we're saying no. That's a recipe for a, 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 a turmoil in your life, turmoil for your relationship with the Lord. If you want to have peace, you've got to be faithful to what God wants you to do. Let's keep looking here. It says as Jesus was drawing near here, and it says already along the way of the Mount of Olives, all these people, all these disciples are rejoicing. They're praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to Him in the highest. Now again, I want to remind you, just five short days later, recorded here in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is uh, with Pilate, he's being tried. They're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And their voices prevail. Five days, just five days. That's a quick turnaround. That's a really quick turnaround. That they're going from praising God to saying, kill God. How do you have peace with God? Determined to worship God your entire life. It's really easy to say, all right, God, you know what? Yeah, this this is good. I'll be faithful and I'll worship you, right? And it's really easy to sit in church or to listen to a sermon or to have some really good devotional time with the Lord and say, yes, God, absolutely, I will worship you. And then later that day, go and do something that's not faithful to God. Right Later that day, we're back at it. Or the next day, we're just back at the same old, same old. But Scripture gives us this idea of worshiping God is not just something we do on a Sunday morning. Worshiping God is not just singing before uh, at church here. It's an entire worship style or lifestyle that we have of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's more than just singing. It's more than just on Sunday mornings. It's more than just your devotional time. It's an entire lifestyle of worship. And then we truly experience peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Devote yourself to faithfulness. Worship God your entire life. I want you to think about this just for a moment. As Jesus is drawing near here and people are praising him, again, what's the mentality that they have? They have the mentality that Jesus is here to set us free. No more Roman rule over Israel. No more Roman oppression. We're going to have freedom. This is going to be awesome. Uh, Jesus is going to come in here. He's going to kick the Romans' butts, and, and they're going to either just going to drive them out. It's going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And so they're praising Jesus here. They're praising him. These people's mentality are totally off. Over and over again, we get this glimpse that their mentality of what Jesus is going to do is just totally off here. In fact, even earlier on in Luke chapter 19, look at what it says in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because, look at this, he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus knows it's not going to appear immediately in the way that they think that it's going to appear. 
he knows, hey, listen, this is a long road ahead. There's a lot that needs to happen that they just don't understand. And so what do you do if you want to have true peace, if you want to experience true peace with God? Well, you've got to get rid of these preconceived notions about who God is. You know, a lot of times we can have these preconceived notions about who we think God is or what we think God will do or how we think God will act. And they can actually bind us from, uh, uh, from being faithful to what God has for us. Think about it with the Israelites in the Old Testament, right? Uh, they actually cross two bodies of water after they get out of Egypt. You know the, the most famous ones in the book of Exodus. They cross the Red Sea, right? God calls Moses to get them out of there, and they're in between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And so what happens? Uh, God calls Moses to put the staff in the water, and the waters part. They cross on dry land, and then the waters go back to normal when the Egyptians are right there and they get flooded, right? And God saves them in that way. Did you also know that God has them go over a second body of water later on. It's right before they're going to go on the promised land, at the beginning of the book of Joshua. They have to cross the Jericho River to get in uh, to the promised land. And they're in between the, the, the wilderness, the desert there, and the river. And they have to cross this. And so God gives them different instructions. He doesn't go to Joshua and say, pick up your staff, put it in the Jericho, and then it'll split. Just as before. Because I'm always going to work the exact same way. No, God doesn't say that to Joshua. You know what he says? He says, I want your priest to pick up the Ark of the Covenant. This represents God's presence on earth. Go ahead, pick that up. There's four priests. I want them all to step into the water. Now, you're taking the most precious item that you have, and you're giving it to the priest and saying, I want you to go walk in a river? That's crazy. Joshua could have said to God, that, that, we're not doing that. That's crazy. No, we've done this before. I've seen this with Moses. I just put my staff in here. You do your thing, and it's awesome. And yet Joshua, he's faithful to what God called him to do, even though it was entirely different than what God had done before. Joshua is faithful, and he says, okay, priest, you go ahead and march into that Jericho. And you know what happens? They march in, and the water doesn't split like it did before. The water actually, from a far away away, stops coming. It starts damming up. And so the water doesn't come, and so it eventually just kind of trickles away, and the ground is dry, and they can cross. Completely differently than what happened in the book of Exodus with Moses. You see, God doesn't always work in the exact same way. His word never changes, and our theology never changes, right? Who God is doesn't change. But how he does things sometimes changes, and it oftentimes changes. That means God isn't always going to act the same way that he acted in your parents' life. He may do something in their life, and you may be trying to fill their shoes, and it's just not working. That's because God's saying, like he did to Joshua, hey, I've got a different plan for you. My faithfulness is still the same. I'm still the same. But I have a different plan for you specifically. And again, that's a good thing. And if you want to have peace with God, you got to be faithful and you got to kind of knock off these preconceived notions about what God is going to do in your life and who he is. Because just as these people, as they're waving these palm branches around, it's so easy for us to have a uh, preconceived notion about what God is going to do. And it shackles us 
to faithfulness. But when we truly realize, hey, I'm going to be faithful to whatever God wants me to do, and if that's different than what I've seen Him do in other people's lives, that's okay because I know He has a different plan for me, and His faithfulness remains the same regardless. We get a certain amount of peace in our life. Just like it says in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the type of peace, not peace like the world gives, Jesus says, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that doesn't even make sense. John uh, 16.33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, this is going to sound um, pretty trivial, but uh, I had something happen this week uh, that really upset me. I was trying to clean out one of our storage rooms uh, in the back, and I, I'm, I'm getting things around, and it's just about time. I have my whole day planned. My whole day is just perfectly planned out. I was going to go to this person and go talk to this person. It was, it was just going to be great, and uh, I run a pretty tight schedule, and so I was right on schedule, and then as I'm uh, leaving the room, my arm, my elbow knocks a rack. And on this rack, we had a bunch of old paint from when we painted this, uh, this whole wing. I knocked a can of paint that had 90% of it still full, and it splatters all over the room. I don't know about you, have you ever tried to clean up paint? It's hard. <laughs> it's horrible, right? I mean, it is just, it's, it's, it's literally made to stain things, right? Like, it's difficult to clean up. Now, luckily, I've been in a situation where someone, I didn't do that ever before, but someone else I, I was around spilled some paint. He was a professional, so he taught me how to clean it up. We did it together. So luckily, God gave me the skill that I needed to clean that up, but it took me an hour and a half. And as I'm doing that, I have my headphones in. I'm like, well, might as well just keep listening to music, right? And you know that, that, that song that, that we sing? We sang it actually uh, last Sunday uh, at church. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I'm just kind of humming along. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And I'm cleaning up paint for an hour and a half. And this song gets stuck in my head. And this is the kind of peace I think God gives us. Now, I, I know that's trivial. And, and there's a lot bigger problems in our lives and just a, a spill can of paint. But when we run into situations like that, when we run into situations where, man, things are just hard. Man, life doesn't look the way that we thought it was going to look like. We have marital problems. We have financial problems. We have problems with our kids. You can be in a situation where, yeah, things aren't ideal. Things aren't how you think that they should be. However, you can have God's peace and God's joy in your life. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord with you all. One more thing I want to point out about how we truly experience peace with God. And it's about this donkey. Now, uh, before I, I mentioned that other uh, gospel accounts had recorded that this is not a cult of a horse, but actually a cult of a donkey. This is a specific choice that Jesus makes here. Typically, when kings would come into cities, they would get the biggest, uh, uh, harshest-looking horse they could possibly find. I mean, something that looks like it belongs on a Budweiser commercial or something, right? I mean, just the biggest horse that you could possibly come in, and it would just show your strength. You, know, you want to show you're powerful. You want to show that you can conquer this place. Jesus comes in, 
And he comes in on a donkey. Now, if we're going to use our illustration and example from before uh, when I told you about the, the car in a driveway, okay? This is like Jesus is coming in in a Toyota Prius, okay? He's rolling in in a little smart car or something like this, right? Typically, you'd think he's like coming in on a big Hummer or something. He's rolling in on a half a car, smart car, and people are like, what? This is, this is, this is, this is interesting. This is kind of a different choice here. This is kind of crazy to think about. But Jesus, he does this very intentionally. He does this because he shows, hey, uh, again, I don't, I don't want you to have these preconceived notions about who I am. My way of doing things looks much different than the world's way of doing things. You see, Jesus says, I am humble, I am meek, and I love you. These are things that you probably wouldn't typically hear from a king during that day. And so if you truly want to have peace, I want you to think about those things Read his word and discover God's humility and his love for you. This uh, idea that Jesus comes in on a donkey, this isn't just something uh, that Jesus thought about in the moment. This was uh, preconceived. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is God's humility and his love. You see, God could be a, a very domineering God if he chose to, right? Sometimes we, we think about God and we think that, oh man, he's just, he just rules with an iron fist and his way goes all the time and, 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 and you just have to do exactly what he wants you to do. That's it. God is just going to rule that way. That's not the way that God rules. He gives us free will. And I think about for a supreme God, for this amazing God that we serve, he didn't have to give us free will. He chose to, though. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants to experience a relationship with us, and he wants for us to experience that relationship. And the only way that truly happens is for us to have free will and for us to choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the only way that that can possibly happen. Otherwise, we'd just be puppets or God's robots praising Him. But with free will, we can choose to love God. And God says, I want each and every one of you to choose that. But I love you too much to force you. I want you to experience a relationship with me. I want you to experience my peace. 2 Peter 1-2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to think about that just for a moment. I want to ask you a question. As you take a look at all these things, as you take a look at what it means to have peace with God, true peace, not a, a, a way that you think you have peace like these people who are waving the palm branches and who are, are just have this bad mentality of who God is. What's it look like in your life? Are you holding on to preconceived notions of what you think God is going to do in your life? Are you faithful to what he's calling you to do? Are you faithful? Are you 
devoted for your whole life? Or do you have these ups and downs and ups and downs where, oh man, I go to church and things are just great with me and God, but then on Monday, oh man, things are just at the bottom of the barrel again and things are awful and I just got to wait to church on Sunday again? Or do you truly devote your entire life to God? Because that's the only way to have true peace. That's the only way to have true peace, to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, not just on Sunday mornings, but 24-7. You have it all, Jesus. My entire life, everything I have, is yours. What's it look like for you to be faithful to what God has called you to do? I can't answer that for you. Only you can. What's it look like for you to be faithful and truly experience peace with God? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for dying on the cross, and we thank you for everything you've done for us. And so, Father, as, as we've read your word, would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us to experience your peace? And God, if there's anyone here who's never experienced that, who's never given their life to you, Father, who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray today would be their day that they would do that, that they would accept you, that they would hand their life over to you, that they would no longer live in their sin, but God, that they would come to know you and love you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to experience your peace. That when bad things happen, when crazy things in life happen, when our marriage is crazy, when finances are crazy, when things with our kids are crazy, when things at work are crazy, when life just hadn't turned out the way that we thought that it would, God, I pray, I pray that we would have your peace. That we could say, I have joy and I have peace, even in the midst of chaos. Even in the midst of horrible things happening in our lives and in this world. God, we can always turn to you and we can experience your peace. And Father, as we do that, I pray that other people would look at us and say, I want that too. I want to experience peace the way that that person does. And God, again, as we prayed earlier, I pray that you give us opportunities to share about you, to tell people who you are, to tell people about your love to fulfill the command that you gave us to go out and to make disciples. Jesus, help us to experience your peace. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.